sorry. All right. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? I am Alan. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I am uh, the senior pastor here as well as one of the elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you are here with us today. As Ricky said earlier, um, if you're a guest, we especially would love the opportunity to get to know you and get you some information about the church. And the way you can help us do that is we've got a connection card. You can fill that out. And a little bit later in the service, offering uh, place will be passed. If you're a guest, that's the only thing, uh, if you don't mind, uh, that we would ask of you to put in the offering plate when it's passed. Um, we are, um, as Ricky said a moment ago, only five weeks away from Easter, and uh, we are going to celebrate Easter as we do every year, but we're going to celebrate it with some extra things this year, and in just a moment when we, when we dismiss, there'll be little postcard-sized cards, if I can find it in the middle of all my stuff here, which I don't know where mine is. Oh, there it is, as I knock things down. It looks like this. And we'll have it on the screen for you to see as well. But I encourage you to pick one of these up, or, or maybe two, and you can put one up on your fridge at the house to keep up with what's going on. And you can also use one of these to hand to a, a friend of yours to invite them to come to worship with us because it says on the front, join us for Easter. So there are lots of things that are going on uh, starting today, and I've got a little laser pointer that I'm going to try to use because um, some of the print's a little small. At the very top, you can see that we're going to start doing an Easter weekly devotional, and it starts today, and we've got this available online, and a couple ways you can get it online is if you've got a worship guide, there's a QR code on here that you can hit, and you can view it online, and we also have printed copies, and they're available out on a rack in the hallway. And this morning's devotional guide is going to walk us, or this week's, is going to walk us through the idea of praying together as a church family. So I encourage you to use that each week. There'll be a different one every single week. And then as we get closer to Easter, the week before Easter, which is April the 10th, we'll have a Palm Sunday service. Um, it'll be at 10 o'clock like normal, uh, but we'll be celebrating what Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on that Sunday uh, before he was crucified that Friday. <clears throat> then we're going to have some Holy Week devotional uh, items that begin on Sunday, April the 10th. And let me tell you what that is. The week of Easter, starting Palm Sunday, going until Easter, we're encouraging all of us to read the portion of Scripture that applies to what took place in the life of Jesus on that day. So we'll have readings from the gospel every single day, and so on Sunday we'll read about how he had the triumphal entry into the city and everything that took place that day, and on through the week as we walk through Easter week together. And the reason we're doing that is because we want to try to understand what everything leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection must have been like for the disciples so we can understand it a little bit better. And then we are having a Good Friday service. It'll happen on Friday, April the 15th. It'll happen here in this building at 6 o'clock. And when we come together, we'll celebrate uh, everything that took place on Thursday and Friday of that week, which includes the Last Supper. So we'll enjoy the Lord's Supper together as a church family. We'll talk about how he was uh, praying in the garden before he was arrested, and his arrest and his crucifixion. And while we will acknowledge the fact that the resurrection takes place on Easter Sunday, we actually won't 
talk much about it because we want to be in the moment of what it must have felt like to see the Savior die on the cross and everything that he paid on the cross for our sins. And so we're going to be celebrating Good Friday. Hope that you'll be a part of that. And then on Easter, you see three different things. We have an Easter sunrise service. I know it's early. And those of you with a little bit of kids, it may not work out for, but put on PJs or wear your nice looking PJs and come up here and be a part of that. That's at 630 on Easter Sunday morning. We'll of course have our Easter service like normal at 10 o'clock. There'll be no classes that morning. And then in between, we're having a pancake breakfast. And so that'll be at 8.30. And so you can either come to the sunrise service and stick around and help prepare the pancakes and prepare everything that's taking place, which we'll need lots of help to pull that off. If you're interested in helping with pancakes or serving them, you can see Chad Gardner or you can contact the church office and let us know that you're willing to help. If you've got griddles that you can bring, all of those things. And then you and your family and your friends can come at 8.30 and we can celebrate as a church family as we kind of sit down together and enjoy pancakes and all of that. So lots of things taking place. As I said, as you leave this morning out on the tables in the entryway and everything, there are these cards. I'd encourage you to grab one for your family and grab another one to hand out to someone to invite them to be a part of what's taking place Easter week. So it's going to be a great time. We, of course, celebrate Easter year-round, but there's just something about Easter week that we need to really try to identify with what this is all about. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, a movie. The last time I said the name of the movie, I got the, the words uh, wrong. But uh, Field of Dreams or Fields of Dreams, I got it backwards last time. I don't know if you saw that baseball movie. Have you ever seen it before? In, in the movie, uh, the little phrase that goes throughout is something along the lines of, if you build it, they will come. I take that little phrase and I apply it to Easter. And here in the South, typically, if you invite them for Easter Sunday, they will come. And what I mean by that is, it is still pretty socially acceptable or understood, hey, it's Easter, we ought to be at church somewhere. If you'll invite somebody, the chances are fairly high that they'll say yes when it comes to Easter Sunday morning. So I encourage you to think of someone or someones that you can invite to be a part of our Easter celebration on April the 17th. All right. Uh, one other thing I want to mention real quick, some of you are worshiping with us online, some of you on various occasions need to do that for health reasons or whatever, but thankfully with the COVID numbers drastically changing, uh, we've had some uh, folks who have been away for a while that are back today, and I encourage you, if you're at home, uh, come on back to the building. We want you here, and we appreciate being able to worship with you and vice versa. If for some reason, though, you aren't able to worship here in the building and you do worship online, you'll notice in the next week or two, some of the ways that you access our worship online will be a little bit different. Uh, instead of being kind of front and center on the website, there'll actually be a, a navigation, uh, a tab on the navigation bar that says live stream. So if you watch from home, just look for that so that you can um, participate online. All right, hopefully you brought your Bible with you today. If you did not, there should be a Bible near you and you can grab one of those Bibles and use it this morning. And if you need to take it home with you to um, have at the house and, and, and everything, we, we would love to be able to give you that as a gift from us this morning. We are walking through the book of Acts as a church family. And um, you, if you picked up a worship guide when you came in, there'll be a place to take notes on the backside. 
And at the bottom each week, it always tells you where the next week's sermon is going to land. That way, if you want to read the verses ahead of time, you can do that. We'll be at the end of chapter 3 next week, and you can see those notes there. But this morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 of the book of Acts. So if you don't mind, begin to find your way to Luke. Sorry, I said Luke because Luke wrote Acts. Find your way to Acts chapter 3. Last week, my family and I were able to uh, go and visit my mom uh, as Alana is in town for her spring break week. Oh, looking out in the crowd, I see somebody else that's back for the first time this Sunday, and it's exciting to see faces again. Sorry about that. Um, we were able to celebrate with my mom at her church uh, last Sunday, and I left Howard uh, to preach for me. I, I was able to listen to the sermon. He did a great job of walking through the last few verses of Acts chapter 2, and he preached about what it means to be an ordinary church. And what he meant by that was that the things that we're told in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, are just the things that we should ordinarily do as a follower of Jesus and as a part of the family. And some things he hit, you can find at the end of chapter 2, and that is the, the devotion to God's Word, the devotion to fellowship or common life together, the devotion to prayer and generosity and meeting needs around us and following Jesus together as a church family. All of that at the end of chapter 2 follows on the heels of what we see when the Holy Spirit comes and fills the, the, the apostles so that they can boldly be the witnesses of Jesus around the world. And so we see lots of things that happen in chapter 2. And, and as we walk through chapter 2, we see that there's a general description or an analysis of the early church, and now we're going to jump forward into chapter 3, and we're going to see not only a description or analysis of the early church, but instead we're going to see a picture of everything we've read to this point being lived out, and we're going to see the church in action. This morning's uh, scripture, we'll see the life of Peter and John. It's not the entire church body that's mentioned, but it's Peter and John, and Peter and John are representative of the church going out and not just saying hold up in the, in the upper room, but now they're going out and they're being witnesses even there in Jerusalem. Let's look together at Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. Now Peter and John, who were two of Jesus' apostles, they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour. The ninth hour in the Jewish calendar or day would be about 3 p.m. our time. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms or help of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at the man as did John, and they said to him, look at us. And the man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. He expected to receive alms. But Peter said, I have no silver and I have no gold, but what I do have I will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately the man's feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, the man stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened 
to him. So as we walk into this story, let's consider a few things. First of all, in the first couple of verses, we see a setting. We see the setting and we see the characters. The setting is that Peter and John, two of the apostles of Jesus, were on their way to the temple. And why were they on the way to the temple? Because it was the hour of prayer. The hour of prayer was, like I said, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. They're going to the temple and they're going to be praying together. If you remember anything from the end of chapter 2, this is actually living out the things that they said that they would do, and that is that they would be serious about praying. Then we see another character in the story, and it's the man who is born lame. If you were to fast forward and look at Acts chapter two, uh, sorry, 4, verse 22, we find out that this man who had been lame from birth had been lame for over 40 years because it says he's over 40 years old at this point. So he's been lame from birth for 40 years, and this man is, is carried on a daily basis. We see in verse 2, he's carried on a daily basis to be placed at a gate at the temple so that as people are walking to the temple to go to service or to go to prayer that they would see this man here he could ask them for alms which is another word for charity to the needy we see this man is completely dependent on others he couldn't walk down there he had to have someone carry him he couldn't earn a living because of his being lame and so he had to depend on others for for money so that he could have a living or so that he could find something to eat so he's completely dependent on others and it made sense that he would be at the temple waiting and asking for help the, the rabbis kind of talked about three different pillars of pious Jews like how would you identify a pious Jew that the rabbis said that a pious Jew would be one who's committed to the Torah the word Torah means law. So the, the Jew that would be faithful in following God would be committed to following the Torah. But he or she would also be faithful to worship. And part of worship would be to go to the temple and to go to the hour of prayer. And then the third pillar was this idea of, of providing charity or acts of kindness to other people. And so if he's sitting in, in, in a gate near the, the, the temple, then, then he would see these pious Jews, these people following God, set, setting towards worship, and then he would be able to ask for alms, and they could provide him with some money. No doubt he received money, and no doubt he received money from some that genuinely wanted to give him money, but I anticipate that many times he probably received money rather unenthusiastically as, as people felt uh, obligated or maybe they felt embarrassed or they didn't really want to make him feel awkward and he felt awkward. Maybe it was kind of an embarrassing, humiliating kind of situation. So that's kind of the setting. And then the reaction of Peter and John and the reaction of this man is going to show us what it looks like to be the church that's living on mission. And to live on mission, you can go back and look at Acts chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, and you're going to see what it means to be on mission with God and what pieces are involved with that. But let's look at the sermon notes. The first one that I have is this. The church on mission lives with compassion. If we want to be a church living on mission for God, then we need to be a church that is identified by our compassion for others. And as we walk through this th thought, we're going to see this exemplified in verses 3 through 5. In Acts chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, we're going to see the compassion of Peter and John, which identify what we as followers of Jesus should show towards other, others as well. First of all, I want us to see that Peter and John were positioned 
to respond to a need. They were positioned to see a need. They were positioned to show compassion. And how do I know that? Because they were living out the things we've read in chapters 1 and chapter 2 of of Acts. Specifically, verse 42 of chapter 2 says they devoted themselves, not just Peter and John, but all of them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and prayers. And the list goes on from there. It talks about how they shared all things and had all things in common, verse 44. They did all of these things, and because Peter and John were seeking to follow Jesus in such a way, they were able, in the midst of their ordinary lives, to show compassion because they were following Jesus. All that to say, the only way that you and I are going to be able to genuinely show compassion to others is if we are pursuing Jesus ourselves. And so Peter and John are not perfect. We know that for a fact, but they are seeking after Christ, therefore positioning themselves to live life on mission and show compassion to others. We see for Peter and John that praying was their routine. Not, not something that they just did, but it was a part of their everyday life. They were devoted to the prayers. And here we see they're on their way to an hour of prayer. I don't think that they were just going there because they wanted to check it off their list. I, I think they were going for two reasons, and one was to pray, and the second was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Peter and John were sincere in their pursuit of God as they were seeking his guidance through prayer. You and I, if we would make prayer a a matter of priority in our lives, then we would be able to show compassion to those around us. I mentioned a little bit earlier that we're doing a weekly devotional leading up to Easter, and this week, um, the title says, They Devoted Themselves to Prayer. And so we are wanting to pray as we walk through these devotionals each week. We, we have an opportunity to kind of study the scripture together a bit, and then on the back side there's a place for a reflection and repentance, and then there's a, a place of some action steps. And I want to give you the preview. I, I, I would like for you to work all the way through this, but I want to give you the preview of the action step we're asking of you, or, or, of us, not you, of us. There, there's a verse in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 that says that at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication we should pursue God. And so taking the, the, the reference of the scripture, Ephesians 6, 18, we're asking all of us to set an alarm on our phone for 6, 18 a.m. and 6, 18 p.m. And I know not all of you have a flexibility in your schedule where you can do it. Then if that's not you, then find another time. But ideally, what would it be like if all of us as a church family at 6, 18 and 6, 18, 18 a.m. and 6, 18 p.m. this week took a moment to stop and pause and pray that God's will would be done in our lives individually and as a church family and with our Easter plans. How might we see God begin to show us opportunities all around us? So I encourage us to be like Peter and John and see the value of prayer because when we pray and seek God, one of the things that happens is that we're able to demonstrate compassion on those around us. So in this scenario, in Acts chapter 3, as Peter and John are headed to prayer at the temple, the man at the gate, the lame man, we don't have his name, but this man saw them and he immediately began to ask them for alms. He began to ask them for help. I want us to look at verse 4. As I said, Peter and John showed compassion on this man, and one way we see that is in the beginning of verse 4. It says, and Peter 
directed his gaze at him. That doesn't mean he stared at him because he was strange. He didn't stare at him because how dare he ask for help. Rather, this phrase, he directed his gaze at him, means to look earnestly at this man. I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but back in the day, uh, people would go to the mall all of the time. And when you were in the mall, there were these kiosks in the middle, right? You know what I'm talking about? And, And... if you know where I'm going with this, if you may have worked at a kiosk, and that's cool if you did, but I typically wanted to avoid the kiosk because I would immediately be bombarded with what they're trying to sell. And so the motto that I had was, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact. Because if I make eye contact with that person, I'm going to be sucked into that conversation even if I knew I wasn't going to buy that perfume, right? And so we have a tendency to go, I'm not going to look and maybe it'll go away. Sadly to say, sometimes when we pull up to a red light, especially if you live in a city, we want to look straight ahead because I don't want to look at my peripheral because there may be somebody here asking for money. Now, I'm not making a judgment whether it's a legitimate need or not a legitimate need, but the reality is we want to avoid those moments. And I realize not everybody in this room is that way, but a lot of us probably are that way. Peter and John did not avoid that moment. Instead, they invited the man to look at them. They gazed at him, they made eye contact, and and they invited him to look back at them. All too often, when we see needs around us, we have a tendency to ignore, to skirt past, to avoid these kinds of situations. Made me think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember that story? Jesus tells about a man who's beat up, left half dead on the side of the road, and tells about three men that walked by. Do you remember what the priest and the Levite did? They went to the other side of the road, and they avoided him altogether. The reality is, all too often, whatever the need is, it doesn't have to be a financial need, it doesn't have to be a health need, whatever the need is, if we're not careful, we'll skirt right past because we think, I'm too busy to deal with that. I don't know what to do in this situation, so I'm just going to avoid it altogether. I have my own stuff going on. I don't have time for someone else's stuff. I presume, or or, or state, I should say, I state that if we are following Jesus, then when we see needs around us, we're not going to skirt past them. We're going to have compassion, and we're going to be like Peter and seek to meet those needs. So we see there in verse 4, not only did he direct his gaze at the man, and John did as well. It says at the end of verse 4, they said to him, look at us. They didn't ask him to look at them so they could scold him. They didn't ask him to look at them so they could belittle him. They didn't ask him to look at him, them to, to, to uh, make him uh, humiliated. Rather, they invited him to look at them because they were having compassion on this man and they wanted to give him dignity and speak words of truth into his life. You see, Peter saw this man. Peter saw his needs. And Peter had compassion on this man, and so should we. My question is this. What about you and I? 
when we see needs around us, and don't, like I said, don't just think financial needs. Don't just think physical needs. But when you see needs around you, what do you and I do? Do we see those needs around us? Do we have compassion on people around us? Do we respond to people with needs? And when I say that, I'm talking about people both within our church and those outside of our church. We should be loving and caring for our church family, and that is clear from Scripture. And at the same time, we should be loving and caring for people that are outside of our church family as well. If we're not careful, we can attend all the religious events there are. Sunday morning worship, and I don't, I'm not saying the religious events in a negative way. We can participate in all of the things at church, and we can come to the worship service, we can go to a hope group, we can go to a, a ministry team we're a part of, we could be a part of a discipleship class or a D group, and we could be oblivious to the needs right in front of us. Those needs might be health needs. They could be financial needs. They could be relational needs. In this day and age, it most definitely could be anxiety or depression that people have around us. It could be a spiritual need. Those who don't know Jesus, it could be the people that are part of our church family that are disconnected and don't really have a lot of relationships. What kind of needs are around us and are we showing compassion in those needs? Don't just look past these people have compassion, look at them, and draw them close. What are you doing? What am I doing to care for the people in need around us? Let me just pause for a second. I believe that 100% of us in this room, at various times in our life, and probably more often than not, have some sort of need in our life. So it's not like, oh, look at those poor, pitiful pitiful souls. They need help, and let me be their Messiah and do something for them. No, all of us need each other, do we not? If you've had a rough week, you have a need. If you're praying for someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus, you have a need. If you've got a sick family member, you have a need. If you have a relationship conflict with someone, you have a need. If you have financial issues or worries, if you have anxiety, if you have addiction, you have a need. You and I have needs. Therefore, we should show compassion to others who have needs and likewise trust that God's going to provide people in our lives that will show compassion to us. Let's be the church together. So let's talk about what do we do when we have compassion on others. The second one says this, the church on mission meets needs in the name of Jesus. Look at verses 6 through the beginning of verse 8. Peter says to him the unexpected. The man says, oh my goodness, these guys called me to look at them. They must be ready to give me some money. And what does Peter say? Peter goes, Silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give to you. So Peter and John don't respond the way that he hopes that they will, but they do respond in the way that this man most needs. Although Peter and John don't have money to give, they give him something better. Rather, I should say someone better. You see, I think Peter probably is processing this and saying, if I give him money, it's not going to permanently fix it, but if I could, in the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of Jesus Christ, if we could see this man healed, then he can begin to work again, and he can provide for himself, and he's going to see the hope that comes through Jesus. See, the reality is this. Peter and John said, we don't 
have silver and gold, but what we do have, we give to you. And what he meant by that is we have a relationship with Jesus, and we have Jesus, not that they own him, not that they shape him, but they have a relationship with him, and Jesus we're willing to give to you. So we see in verse 6, Jesus, Peter says, I don't have silver and gold, but I give you something else. And here's what he says. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I want to pause just a second here. As I prepared that this, this week, I thought of three people off the top of my head in my life that I love desperately that while they are not like this man, they have not necessarily been lame from birth, they all three are unable to walk right now. And how I would love for this kind of miracle to take place in their life. And so I want to say at this point, I don't understand why it is that sometimes we ask God for healing and he brings it and other times he doesn't. But I do know this, that in the midst of whatever we're facing, whether physically or not, if Jesus doesn't answer our prayer exactly like this prayer, it doesn't mean that Jesus does not see us and he's not providing for us. But I also want to admit it's confusing to me. Like, I have three people that I would love to be able to say, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And the story hasn't gone exactly the same as this. But let's look at what does take place in this story. Jesus' apostles, Peter and John, continue through the power of Christ himself, the ministry and the work of Jesus that he began from the beginning. It says in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, that Jesus began to do and to teach many things. And the idea is that Acts is a continuation of the ministry and work of Jesus. And in this scenario, it's a continuation of what Christ came to do. We see that the power came not from Peter. The power did not come from John. The power did not come from the fact that they touched this man. Rather, the power came in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The word name does not simply mean we're going to name the guy that we are worshiping. Rather, the word name means it carries the idea of, uh, of the, the character or reputation of someone. And in this scenario, it means that the power and authority that's found in Jesus himself is what they're proclaiming. So when they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, they're saying, because of the character of Jesus Christ, because of his power, because of his authority, rise up and walk. And then in verse 7, it says that Peter took the man by the right hand and raised him up. I don't know exactly why Peter chose to do that, but in my brain, I can think of the fact that this man who's been lame from death, is from death, from birth, sorry, lame from birth, is probably thinking, yeah, sure. Like, Peter, you're telling me to stand up and walk. I've never been able to stand up and walk. I can't do this. And so perhaps one of the reasons that Peter reached down to help him stand up was to say, no, for real, like God has really done this. And so he takes his hand, and it says that it immediately or at once or suddenly or completely, it says this man's feet and ankles were strong. Don't breeze past that. This man has been lame for over 40 years. His muscles and his legs have atrophied. These joints in his ankles that had never taken the weight of anything standing up 
had no way of being able to support this man's weight. And yet, Scripture is clear. It says immediately his legs were healed. And as I read the commentaries this week, it said actually some of the words that are used here by Luke, who was a, a physician or a doctor, is kind of medically minded. and just says that his legs were just all of a sudden made firm and strong. It's unexplainable other than the name of Jesus brought the healing. This doesn't make you want to shout, I don't know what will. Look at verse 8. He describes a couple of different times the same thing that took place. He uses a couple of words twice. He uses the word walking and leaping twice. It says in verse 2, and leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. This man was completely healed. He hopped up. He stood still. He walked. His legs were working. It was all in the name of Jesus. This word leap. You might want to jot down in your notes Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6. Isaiah 35, 6. In Isaiah 35, we have a, a, an account of what the Messiah would do, the, the healing that he would bring. It said that the lame would leap like deer. And, and when you look, if you were to look at the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, the same exact word in Isaiah 35, 6 for leap is used here in Acts chapter 3, verse 8. So what we have is a description that the work of the Messiah is continuing. I want us to think for just a moment. What is God commanding us to do as a church based on what we're reading here? Sometimes in Acts we see a clear description of what took place, and sometimes in Acts we see a clear prescription of what we should do. So is this saying that the next time you see somebody with a physical need, or the next time you have someone ask for financial help, you say, no, I don't have any money to give you. Let me just tell you, rise up in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Like, is that what it's telling us to do? Is it telling us to only give someone a, a sermon when they ask for practical help? No, not necessarily, Right? We can't walk away and go, okay, I should never really offer any tangible help. I'll just preach Jesus to someone. No, that's not what's being done. Rather, what's being done here is we see that in the name of Jesus, this man is healed, and then Peter is given an opportunity to preach the gospel, and as we'll see in the next couple of weeks, we'll see that thousands of people came to faith because he preached the gospel. So the healing of this man is actually not only a physical healing, but also an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed. Sometimes we give money to meet people's needs. Go back to Acts 2, verse 45, and we see that sometimes we do that. Sometimes we provide for people in other ways. But in the midst of it all, whenever we meet a need, whenever we see a need, whenever we show compassion on someone, however we meet the need, make sure you're doing it in the name of Jesus, not your own name. Not even in the name of Living Hope Baptist Church, but in the name of Jesus, because he's the one that has the power. He's the one that has the authority. He's the one that gives us the compassion. He's the one that is the Lord and Savior for the world. We must always give Jesus. We must always serve in the name of Jesus, because he is the most, he, he, he provides for the most serious, long-lasting need of all people. 
The only way that Peter could give this man Jesus was because he had Jesus himself. You can't give Jesus to someone. You can't proclaim the power of Jesus until you have experienced the power of Jesus in your own life. So my question to you this morning is, do you have Jesus? It's a passage of scripture from 1 John that I want to read to, you, to us. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. John says this, whoever has the Son, whoever has Jesus has life. Whoever does not have the Son, whoever does not have Jesus does not have life. So Peter and John had the Son. They had trusted in him for salvation and they wanted to proclaim his name to others. My question is, do you have Jesus this morning? Howard did a good job of explaining baptism and what baptism represents, a salvation that's already taken place. Here's what it means to have Jesus. To have Jesus means to acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I'm in need of my sins to be forgiven, that I can do nothing on my own, including being baptized, that will bring salvation. The only thing that brings salvation is to place my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone that I would repent of my sins and trust that he will wash away my sins because of what he did on the cross and in his resurrection. The Bible says that Jesus died for our sins and that if I accept and receive that free gift based on the fact that not only did he die for my sins but he was raised on the third day, that I can experience the forgiveness of my sins. So my question is, I say that as we meet needs of, uh, and show compassion on those around us, that we should do so in, in the name of Jesus. My question is, do you have Jesus this morning? If you don't know Jesus personally, then I say in just a few moments, whenever we begin to sing, the first thing you do is run up here, leap up, stand up, walk this way, and let's talk about what it means to trust in Jesus as our Savior. And if you do have Jesus, are you like Peter and John, when you meet someone and have a conversation with them, whether you know them already or it's a new person that you've never met before, and you see a need, do you seek to present a, a need, of, uh, to, to meet that need through the power of Jesus Christ? Now let's begin to share Jesus now. Those of us who have Jesus must offer Jesus. He's not something that we should keep to ourselves. We're called to be a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. And so our motive should not be to hog the, 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 the joy of Christ to ourselves, but that we share him with others. And the third thing we see is this. Third thing on your sermon note says that the church on mission rejoices in the work of God. We, we see that at the end of verse 8 and end of verses 9 and 10. We see at the end of verse 8, the man's response, it says that he not only stood and walked, but he entered the temple with them. And as he entered the temple, he's still walking and he's leaping. And what's he doing? He's praising God. You see, this man, whenever he was healed, he did the understandable thing. And he began to worship God by joyfully praising God for all that he did for him. I don't want us to miss, though, what takes place when it says that he entered into the temple. This wasn't just, oh, okay, they're walking in. I should go with them. I should go hang out with them. I mean, they healed me. Let me follow them. No, that's not that. It's also not, oh, it's time for prayer. Let's walk into the temple and let's go to prayer. Rather, what we need to understand is that there is a high chance this man had never been in the temple before. 
There's several passages of Scripture that don't specifically say that lame people were barred from temple worship. However, many of the commentators believe that they took some of the Scriptures and interpreted them to mean that a lame person was never allowed to get beyond the court of the Gentiles and into the temple. And if that's the case, then this man had never, ever been in the temple before. And it was natural that he is wanting to go into the temple, into the presence of God, and worship him for this healing that took place in his life. There's a new freedom in this man's life. Not only is he able to walk, but he's freely able to worship God. Whenever you and I if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus and you experienced the forgiveness of, our, of your sin, we are now allowed into the very presence of God. And the greatest healing that we could ever experience is not a physical healing, it's a spiritual healing. And my question is, have we lost the joy and the wonder of our salvation or are we still like this man, leaping up, standing up, walking into the presence of God, worshiping him and thanking him for all that he's done for us? This man rejoiced God, in God for the miracle that took place in his life. We also see that as he worshiped God, other people saw everything that took place. Look down in verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10 says, and all the people saw him. What was he doing? He was walking and praising God. There, there, it repeats itself over and over again. It's clear that this man was genuinely healed, and these people see him, and it caught their attention. What does it do? Verse 10 says they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Everyone saw this guy. It, it says there in uh, beginning of verse 2, they recognized him. They knew this was the guy. He sat there every day. They'd seen him many, many times. Maybe they had done the do not make eye contact thing, like I said, but they knew who he was. There was no denying the fact that this man had been lame. They had seen what God had done. Everyone recognized him. Everyone saw him walking. Everyone saw him in the temple. Everyone saw him worshiping God. There was no denying the miracle that took place, the complete healing that took place in his life. You see, when God is at work, it becomes obvious to many people. This morning, as we watched these three get baptized, this, this wasn't the work of, of salvation at that moment, but it was reflecting the fact that they had placed their faith and trust in Jesus in the past, right? So it was an act of obedience. It was an act of, of, of worship. Did, did, we, did we get excited or did we clap or did we do those things because it genuinely was bubble, bubbling up from within us? It's my desire that when we see God at work around us, that we would be overjoyed by what he's doing. That we can't contain it. That we celebrate all that he's doing. And so that when we leave this place, we don't go, well, that was a nice service. But we leave this place encouraged by the fact that three new folks have followed Jesus in baptism. And we can't wait to tell others what we see God doing in our midst. Not because of living hope, but because of Jesus Christ himself. And whenever Jesus is at work in our lives, the world around us will notice. 
The end of verse 10 does not mean these people necessarily came to faith in that moment, but it was evident that the work of God was among them. I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I ask it again. When is the last time that the community around us stood up and took notice, not of us, but of the God that we serve because of what he's doing in and through the lives of his people in this place. And you know what? It may not ever be associated with this building. They may just know that a small group that we call hope groups, that a small group reached out and met a need, or they were aware of something that the people of God from this place had done in the name of Jesus Christ. May we be a people who serve God in such a way that when we see a need, we respond, and that we respond in the name of Jesus Christ, and when others see our actions and activities, they'll glorify our God in heaven. The work of God and everything else in life, which is the work of God as well, is for God's glory and for his fame. It's not for ours. So my questions along these lines are this. Do you worship God when he does his work? Do you point others to Jesus when he does his work? Like we're going to see in, in the verses we read next week, beginning in verse 11, it's not like everybody saw everything and they're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this guy's walking. And Peter and John goes, yep, time to go to the house, let's go. No, Peter and John, Peter stands up and begins to boldly preach the gospel. Whenever the people saw the work of Jesus Christ, what Peter did was point them right back to Jesus himself. And so my question is this, whenever God for lack of better words, comes through in your life, do you praise him and point to him, or do you go, whip, I'm glad I had a good week, or do others hear that Jesus is the one that did the work in your life? All too often, if we're not careful, we want to make it about ourselves. We want to make it about our church. We want to make it about our ministry. We want to make it about our reputation, but none of that is ours anyway. It's all for the glory of God. Here at our church, we say that we want to be a disciple, make disciples, and be the church to the glory of God. And in this encounter, in the life of this man who was lame from birth, we see the power of Christ show up radically, undeniably, and completely as this man is healed in the name of Jesus. What about you this morning? What healing or restoration do you need? Do you need salvation? That's the most important healing possible. Are you praying for a health need? Are you praying for a financial need? Are you dealing with relationship issues? Is there someone in this room you need to, to, to get together with and pray together with that God might bring healing in a relationship? The list could go on and on and on, but I do know this, that in the name of Jesus, there is healing and restoration, and he wants to bring it in your life. In just a moment, we're going to stand, and after we stand, we're going to begin to sing, and as we begin to sing, some plates are going to be passed for the time of the offering, and all of these things are designed for us to respond and to worship 
Jesus together this morning. Let me share with you a few ways that you could potentially respond. As I've said a couple times, you could receive Jesus and have life this morning. Another response you could have is that you're going to pray that God would allow you to see opportunities to give people Jesus this week and then actually do it. Perhaps another response could be that you're going to commit to do the weekly devotionals and and that you're not just going to read them and pass through them, but you're going to respond and repent and live out what we're talking about in them. Maybe you need to make a response today and say, this week, 618, I'm going to pray in the morning and the evening as, as it fits my schedule for God's work in our midst. Maybe you're going to pray about a name or two that you're going to invite to Easter, and you're going to hand them a card this week. Maybe you're going to give financially as the as the plates are passed. Maybe you're going to turn in your connection card, your prayer request card. All kinds of responses. The altar is available for you to come and pray. I'm available to pray with. You're going to stand and sing and worship Jesus together as a church family. Let's not just hear a message about the name and the power of Jesus. Let's worship him and respond to him. Let me pray for us.